0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Now John writes this this little letter and he 's really instructing a group of Christians uh, about the about the life of Jesus and who He was, and really giving them assurance about the reality of Jesus, because there was a lot of things that were flying around there in the early days of the church uh, that were untrue uh, things, false teaching about the life of Jesus and who he genuinely was. And, uh, and really what we find in this letter is that we uh, are the ones that have the, we have the ability to know Jesus, to an experience with him, and that's actually where you find real life, is in connection to God in a personal way. Now, I don't know if you guys grew up uh, like hating on each other, but you know when we were kids, if you, you wanted to make somebody feel bad about themselves, say, you know what, get a life. Do you ever hear that? Ever going to tell you that? Right, that's, uh, That was just at Walters Elementary School where there was bullying happening, I think. Uh, you know, that idea of just like get a life. You think about all the different things that humanity for centuries has done in this world and sought after to try to, try to actually just receive life, to get a life, so to speak. Uh, whether that's looking for in a significant relationship, uh, some thrill or some social status or power so that a person can get a life. They search... Uh, people do for that real life experience in all kinds of different things. And it's been going on since the beginning of history. Reality, uh, looking for uh, satisfaction and wealth and power. Those are the things that people look for for to bring them life. And John found and John discovered, who's our author, uh, he searched and he found that life was found not wrapped up in stuff, not wrapped up in relationships, but in a person who he describes as the word of life. Uh, John had searched it out. And he's wanting them to know and wanting the church to know that Jesus indeed is real and it is in him that we find life. Now his story, uh, John was a young man probably in his early 20s when he became a, a follower of Jesus. He was uh, one of the original 12 disciples. By the time he's writing this book, 1 John, or this letter to a group of Christians, he's probably about 100 years old at this time. He was a part of the inner circle of the disciples. So Jesus had 12 disciples, and that there were three that actually were at the significant moments of his life, Peter, James, and John. It was John who was there at the cross where Jesus looked at him and said, uh, son, behold your mother, speaking to Mary, uh, Jesus' earthly mother, and he looked at Mary and says, M- uh, Mother, behold your son. And from that day, John took Mary in uh, and treated her as if he, she was his own mother. He was uh, an eyewitness to the life, miracles, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was known as the apostle of love. In fact, at this time uh, of when he was writing this, there were stories that circled around the early church that that they used to carry John around because he was so old. And uh, and he would just look down at, at people and he would tell them, little children love one another for God is love. And that's actually some of the things that we learn in this book. It didn't begin like that. John was, um, I guess you would call him kind of a hothead, right? Uh, John and his brother, uh, Jesus referred to them as the sons of thunder. Um, So when they walked into the room, thunderstruck uh, thunderstruck from ACDC would play, apparently. And, uh, you know, maybe that was a little bit made up, but they're about the same age, I think, ACDC and John. Uh, And and, uh, there was this group of Samaritans that Jesus was on his way to, to Jerusalem where he would give his life and the Samaritans did not welcome Jesus or his disciples. And it was John who said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? That was kind of his his you know attitude. But over time, his life began to change. As he spent time with Jesus, uh, his life began to transform and he became what was known as the apostle of love. And the same thing happens to us today as we spend time reading God's word. In fact, I want to encourage you to read through this little letter several times as we go through it over the next couple months. But you find that your life begins to mimic your Lord and your Savior. As we talked about in our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, we become an apprentice, if you would, of Jesus. And we begin to learn how to live like him. We we learn how to love like him. We learn how to forgive like him. And and that's what happened in John's life. God begins to uh, change a person. And that's how John became known as the apostle of love. And he writes this letter because he wants to establish them in the true faith. Again, there was some challenging teachings going around that were trying to uh, take away either the, the humanity of Jesus, that he was a, f- a human being, that he was fully man, uh, but also take away the deity of Jesus, that he was fully God. And within Jesus, we have this God-man who was fully God, but yet he was also fully human and experienced life like we do. Like we do. And he also wants to establish them in the Christian life. There's a lot of implications of what you believe about Jesus, what you believe about uh, God and what he would ask you and I to do, uh, there was a lot of challenges going on where, the, where there was this idea that it doesn't really matter what you do or your body does, it's only the spirit that matters. And so John wants to clear it up. This is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The, John tells us that God is light in the first couple chapters. Uh, chapters three and four, we learn that God is love, and in chapter five, we learn that God is Life And so John found that all of that was wrapped up in Jesus, who is light, love, and life. Now, there was reasons why he wrote the letter. I love that John lets us know In the Gospel of John, the reason why he wrote that book, uh, he lets us know why he was writing the book of Revelation. And here in 1 John, we learn about what this letter was uh, regarding, like why he wrote it. Uh, The first reason we read already in verse 4, that he says, I write these things to you so that your joy may be full. Uh, He wants to promote joy in the Christian's life. Uh, this is a, a, a family letter, and he realizes that there's a lot of believers who are struggling, they're confused, and they've sort of lost their joy in the relationship with God. The Bible tells us that uh, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. That would be a challenge for you and I this morning, is just where you are in your realm of experiencing the joy that God wants you and I to have. He also tells us in chapter 2 that he wrote this book, so that we may not sin. God uh, wants you and I to actually leave a life of sin. Now, a Christian will never be sinless, right? You'll never get to this spot where you never sin, you never uh, disobey God or dishonor God. That, that doesn't happen for us. But a Christian does sin less. John's a pastor. In fact, we uh, read historically that he became the pastor of the church in Ephesus in his later years. And, and as a pastor, he knows the destructive nature of sin, You think about your own life and the things that have come to your life because you decided to cross the line and dishonor God. Has anything ever good happened in your life because of sin? I'll just answer for you, no, right? There's nothing that good happens for that. So he says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. And when Christ came to this earth, he took away the penalty of our sin when he died on the cross. But he also took away the power of sin in our lives. And so we'll learn about that as he tells us that he's written this letter to help us to sin no more. And the last reason he writes is in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might have Uh, that you might know that you have eternal life. So he writes to them and to us to provide assurance of salvation. Boy, to be able to know that you're saved this morning. To know that you have a relationship with Jesus. To know that your sins are forgiven and covered. That when you take your last breath on this planet, you will take your very next in the very presence of God. And he alone is the one who provided salvation for you. So he wants them to have assurance and he wants you and I to have assurance as well. These reasons to bring fullness of joy, freedom from sin, assurance of salvation. There's a great verse in Isaiah that, uh, the, uh, that God lets the, the prophet Isaiah know to speak to the children of Israel. He says this, For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring, bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What is God saying? He's saying that when he sends his word, there's purpose in it. There's power in God's word. I'm excited for you and I as a church family to read this book together, to study it week after week, because God's word does not return void. Amen? It changes our life. And my encouragement to you is to be a lover of God's word, a reader of God's word. And may God bless us as we, be, be, we approach this letter together. So now, we get into it. Verse uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4. We read that, that John just doesn't have an intro. He doesn't say, hey guys, it's John. He just starts out. And he starts to describe The the word of life. In fact, there are two things that happen in this first section. Number one is the word of life is revealed according to John. And the word of life is experienced in our lives. First, he deals with how the word was revealed. John had a first experience, firsthand experience with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. And he begins with these words, that which was from the beginning. He's speaking of Jesus. And we think about like the beginning, the beginning of what? Was it the beginning of his ministry? No. Was it the beginning when he was born? Uh, here we are celebrating or talking about the, you know, the, the coming of the, the Messiah, uh, something we celebrate on Christmas? No. What John is referring to is the fact that that which was from the beginning, the word of life, the eternal one, before there was anything that ever happened, he was there, He existed. The triune Godhead—the Father, the Son, and the Spirit—always existed forever. Now that's kind of hard for us to grasp. Uh, Sometimes I'll have you know a parent come up to me and say, "Hey, my child has a question for you." They ask me a question, and I'm like, "You know what? I got to do a mic check. I don't know the answer to that." Like, who made God? Well, God never was made. He's always existed. How does that work? You know, we have donut holes out there. That's what I tell them. Like, you you know, you can have. Pastor Gordon said you could have three today. Before anything existed, he was there from eternity. And John says that we experienced him. We heard him. We saw him. He says we looked upon him. It's a a Greek word, theeomai. It's where we get our word theater. It means we stared and we looked and we studied and we examined. And the fourth part, he says, and we handled him. We physically touched God with a body. When John stared at him, loving, serving, giving, healing, he saw him beaten, suffer, bleed, die, and he saw and handled the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And John refers to him as the word of life. Now words reveal how people feel, right? What people think. Jesus is God's word. He's uh, the communication that that God wants us to know who he is and what he's about. Jesus is exactly who God is. In fact, Jesus told Thomas' disciples that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the exact representation of God. And, and, and uh, that, you know, God is communicating, this is who I am, this is how I feel, this is what I'm like. And when you see, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to see, oh, this is God's nature, this is God's, uh, who God is in the life of Jesus. Uh, John, in the book of John, the, the Gospel of John, he refers to Jesus as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the word of God. But now John in this letter calls him the word of life. In verse 2 he says, and we've come to bear witness that, that this God from eternity has now been manifested to us. The life was made manifest and we've heard it and seen it and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life. That word manifested, it means that he was revealed. He came out into the open to appear and to be made visible. In John's gospel, he says that the word was with God and the word was God there in the beginning. And then in verse 14, he says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So 2,000 years ago, the Eternal One, the word of life, entered into this this arena called life here on planet Earth. And John describes in verse 14 of the Gospel of John that he tabernacled among us. He took on a human body and he began to live the life that none of us could live, ultimately to lay his life down on the cross and to rise again from the dead so that he could uh, offer pardon and forgiveness and grace and mercy to everyone who calls upon him. So John says, guys, all of this, is uh, this eternal one. He came and he entered into our life here on planet Earth. We heard him. He was visible. He was tangible. This manifestation of the eternal life. Jesus is real. Now again, there was false teaching that was spreading around from a group called the Gnostics. They had this superior knowledge. They thought the apostles were naive. And, uh, and, And they would say that Jesus might be God, but he's not human. That's why John went over and over and over again, like we've seen him, right? We touched him, we heard him, we gazed upon him. And he repeats that over and over because he wants you and I to know that he was, yes, fully God, but he was also fully human. And they had this thought that, well, he was a phantom. The disciples saw him and his resurrected body, but he was really just sort of a ghost, and that's why Jesus even lets us know, you know, his disciples were kind of freaked out, right? After Jesus had risen from the dead. And, uh, and so he's like, guys, come, put your, you know, put your hand where my, my, my hands were pierced. And feel where I was pierced in the side. Like, guys, I have a body. He says, do you have any food around here? They're like, here, we've got a Pop-Tart. Eat this pop No, it's like fish, I think they gave him. And, uh, and, and so he ate there. And they're just like freaking out because his resurrected body, it was tangible, and they felt his resurrected body. And so he's letting them know, guys, you've been hearing some bogus stuff. You've been hearing some things that are not true. And these things are important to the Christian faith. So he clears it up in the beginning of this uh, first century of the church. He wants to refute those claims, this false teaching that was spread around. These Gnostics, they were supposedly, they had they had like superior knowledge, right? And they're Teaching was that matter was evil. So if matter is evil, right, then Jesus could not have had a real body because how could God embody something that was evil? And the other implication is that if, you're, if matter is evil, your, your bodies are evil too, by the way, um, is what they would say. Uh, depends on what you eat later on today. You might be accurate. Your body is evil. You shouldn't have eaten that. The idea is that it doesn't matter what I do. Okay, translation, commit adultery, steal, do something that God's word uh, would say would be uh, wrong and sinful. Well, it doesn't matter because my spirit didn't do it, right? Like, I'm, I, you know, it, it wasn't, I didn't really hit my brother, right? Because my spirit didn't hit my brother. It was my body that did it, mom. I know, what's the problem? Why are you taking away my Xbox? So John says, no, guys, Jesus had a real body, and it's going to mean something to your own particular life. So he wants to clear it up. They denied the divine human person of Jesus. And by the way, every false uh, teaching, every false religion is going to attack the person and work of Jesus Christ. I I uh, I flew home from San Diego a couple weeks back and uh, got picked up by an Uber. By the way, you can't get an Uber at the airport. Does anyone know? You you guys know this, right? I had to like walk over like to winery to get my Uber guy to come and pick me up. I might as well walk home. And uh, it's, I don't know, t- maybe you guys could write me a little note. Let me know what happened. Like, did Uber get in trouble? I don't know. But, anyways, guy picks me up there on the street. I'm sweating. And uh, he's driving me home. And there's occasionally times I don't want to let people know I'm a pastor. Uh, just, you know, I'm a selfish human being sometimes. And because uh, I know that if, you know, like, so, anyways, he and I sat out in front of my house for an hour uh, because I let him know I was a pastor. And uh, we had a great conversation. Um, it was actually a great conversation. You got to share the gospel with him, and we talked about Jesus. And, and he has this kind of belief that he's gained from some false, you know, religions out there that, that, that Jesus is not God. God is Yahweh, but Jesus is not God. Jesus is a created being, or he, he might have been a thought of God's, and he came into this world, right, and he was used by God, but he's not actually God. And so, you know, we begin to point to him, you know, like, Open the Bible, and here's what Jesus referred to himself as, and this is what the scriptures say. Like, every false teaching, somebody comes knocking on your door, and they don't have, like, thin mints or something from the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, what do you call them? Thank you. I was going to say rugrats, but that was like a, no idea what, they, <laughs> that's a cartoon my kids used to watch. Uh, if they got no thin mints, it's like, they, listen, and they want to say, oh, here's a magazine. Oh, here's what my church believes. Who is Jesus. If Jesus is not God from eternity, what the Bible actually claims, then what you believe is false. And I don't care how many Bible studies you go to, you're never going to find a different teaching in God's written word other than from eternity. Jesus always existed, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and he entered into this world. And he had a body when he lived on this planet, when he died, it was a physical body that died. And when he rose from the dead, he had a physical body that rose up with him. This is, it might be like, man, okay, we get it. Like Jesus had a real body. There are some major implications for the early, early church and even in our day as well. They denied the, 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 the incarnation that God became a man. Isaiah 9-6, we'll read it during the Christmas season. Wait, unto us a child is born... Speaking of his humanity. Unto us a son is given. Speaking of his deity. He was the God man. If Christ could not touch our humanity, become a man, guess what? He could not save you from your sins. That's kind of a big implication, isn't it? If he didn't have a physical body that physically rose from the dead, if he did not have a physical body where he lived a life that none of us could live, he could not be the perfect offering for our sins. He had to be human. And we would still be lost. And we'd have no chance to know God. God was made visible in Jesus who always existed but became a man 2,000 years ago. Eternal life was with the Father, he says. And by the way, Jesus is co-equal with the Father when John says that, the triune God is one. And so John tells us this in this first little uh, chapter, eternal life, which was with the father. We read in, in the gospel of John, verse one through three, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the or word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Paul writes to the church, uh, the Colossians. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him. And for him. So he attacks that falsehood that denied Jesus was fully God and fully man. Co-equal with the Father. He says the life was made manifest. John and the other disciples, they came to the awareness of who Jesus actually was. And it was God. He says, guys, we hung out with him. We were eyewitnesses. When we patted him on the back, we were patting the back of God. When Jesus came and high-fived Peter... After he had that tremendous moment of walking on the water, I might be adding something to that story. But I would imagine they high-fived. It's pretty cool, Peter. He was high-fiving the hand of God. When they looked at him, when they embraced him, it was God is what John is telling us. And then he says, and here's the purpose in verse 3. The purpose of Jesus becoming a man, the purpose of him being manifest among us, that we've seen and testify and proclaim to you. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy or our joy may be complete or full. Here's the, here's the reason. John says the gospel was proclaimed. Here's the reason why God came and became a man 2,000 years ago. So that the, you and I might experience the word of life. That we might know him in an experience, in relationship. A church goer, goer can know about God and know about Jesus. But a born again child of God knows him Intimately. And he uses that word fellowship. It's a Greek word, koinonia. It's a difficult kind of word to explain. And so we have many English words that would describe what it actually means or it intends. It's, this, it's the sharing of something together. It's this idea of friendship. It's oneness. He says, I declare to you, though you've never seen Jesus, that you might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with God and with his son Jesus, intimate relationship and knowledge. This idea of fellowship is awesome because he says, first of all, you have it with us. When you are born, uh, born again, when you become a believer in Jesus, when somebody uh, takes that, that moment in their life where they take a step towards Him, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They recognize they've sinned and they've broken his commands. They, they receive Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. The Bible describes that they become spiritually made alive. And in that moment, you become adopted uh, by God, the book of Romans tells us, and you become a part of the family of God. He says you have fellowship with us, speaking of the disciples, speaking of the church, that you're born into a family. He came so that you and I could have oneness together. That we could experience and share love with one another. That we could accept one another. All these uh, words that we find in scripture, the one another's of the Bible. What an awesome thing to be a part of his family. And yet he also says, and truly our fellowship is with God. To Think about that for a moment. That you can actually become a friend of God. You can actually have a relationship with him. How is that fellowship possible when we have sinful humanity and we have a holy God? Well, it happens in the, in, the, in the connection that we have with Jesus. He was the one who could touch humanity, and he was the one who could touch God because he was fully God and fully man. Sin separates human beings from God. This is why it's impossible for any amount of religious effort that you could ever earn God's favor and have a relationship with him. It was there in the garden uh, that when Jesus was praying the night he was betrayed and when he was about to uh, go to the cross the next day, It was there in the garden that he prayed to the Father, and he prayed three times, and he said this. He said, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. He was speaking of this cup of wrath, the wrath of Almighty God that he was going to drink, speaking of his death on the cross, and not just the torture that happened from the Roman guards and soldiers, but the wrath of Almighty God that was poured out upon him when he hung on the cross. And three times he uttered these words, Lord, is it possible for this cup to pass for me? Is is salvation for humanity possible without me going to the cross? And he heard nothing. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was encouraged by the gospels tell us that angels came and ministered to him in that moment. In his darkest hour, when he was going to go and he was going to absorb the sins of the world, as if he had committed those sins and crimes, that's what Jesus Christ did for you and I. It's possible for you and I to have a relationship in what John describes as fellowship because Jesus willingly went to the cross for your sin and my sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you lived in this world without God and without hope. And that was certainly our lives before Jesus. Fellowship was broken because of sin, and Jesus came to take away our sin. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And God made him who never sinned, speaking of Christ, to be the sin offering for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Something happened. Your bank account was like negative, right, Gazillion. Like, you were spiritually bankrupt, and so was I. And when Jesus went to the cross, not only did he cancel your debt of sin, right, went to zero. Wouldn't that be awesome? You click on your app, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm negative $10,000 in my bank. And you say, like, you know, refresh. Boom. I got, it goes to zero. You Refresh again. Boom. I got a billion dollars in my bank account. You're like, what bank do you go to? Citibank. And their app is always broken around 10 o'clock at night, just in case you're wondering. So if you work at Citibank, we would like to get that thing fixed, okay? What Jesus did was he canceled your debt, but then he gave you all of his righteousness. Think about this for a moment. This morning, when God looks down upon believers in this room, he looks upon you as if you had the very righteousness of Jesus, as, as if you were Jesus himself. That's what John's describing. It says now you can have fellowship with God because of what he has done for you and I. By the way, fellowship is based on grace, his work. Religion is human beings attempt to reach God. The gospel says that God became a man to reach us and he makes us alive. He brings us into his family. And now we have fellowship with him. And what John states next is the wonderful byproduct of it. His first purpose of writing this letter. And I'm writing these things to you. We write these things to you so that your joy would be complete. Your joy would be full. It's this idea of of having a, a net crammed full In John's world, a fish. It's completely packed in. And that's the joy that actually God wants you and I to have this morning. Now, if I were to take a poll, chances are that there's a lot of Christians who struggle with experiencing joy. Am I right? Sometimes we get confused with happiness and joy. John says, I-, I want you to be filled with joy. Never has there been a time in the history of our world where we've had more things accessible to us to bring happiness, right, and joy to our lives. Human beings have been searching for it for years in pleasure, but it's not real joy because real joy is independent of our circumstances. Happiness is based on the happenings of your life, right? So, I t- you know, if you're like, hey, I got a brand new car. Oh, I'm so happy. And there you are whistling down the road, and you take a selfie, and you crash into a tree. Well, now you're not so happy, right? You meet with somebody, and they say, man, I'm just so bummed out. What's going on? Oh, I'm in debt. And the repo man, they're going to come and take away my car and all this stuff. You're like, you know what? Sit down. I'm going to write you a check right now. You write them a check for $20,000. Oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. And then they go to the bank, and they try to cash it, and it's a check bounce, Right? Now they're really sad again. You go up and down like that in life. So do I. Our problem is is that we're not tapping into the source where ultimate joy is found, and that is in fellowship with God, in right relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if you can remember when you became a follower of Jesus, but you know what happens is that you kind of live long enough as a Christian Like, new Christians are awesome. They're super excited about Jesus, right? They're excited about a Bible. They're excited about learning about him. And then they they sit next to, you know, Christians that are seasoned believers, like, well, don't worry, it'll wear off. You know what I mean? Thank you for that encouragement. Right? It's like Debbie Downer, like, well, you'll you'll get, some of your prayers won't be answered, and whatever, you know, we are. So dumb. I have no idea why we forget the, man, the joy of knowing God. We just get slammed busy in life, and we forget the things that are truly important. Here's what, here's what John is describing, saying, guys, joy is independent of circumstances. It's in the realm of the spirit. It's in the spiritual realm. It's, it's directly connected to your connection to God. Jesus told us this in John 15. He says, these things I've spoken to you that, my, that, that may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Our joys connected to our relationship with God. When I was a, a little kid, uh, me and my best pal, Trav, we uh, lived down the street from each other. Over by River Park, you know, there was this, like, this ponding basin, you know, so it was like there was nothing out there. We were probably, like, six or seven years old. we take our BB guns out there. Now, this is back in the good old days, right? You could, like, put your BB gun right, na- you know, like, make a holster for it on your BMX bike. And so that there we were riding our, you know, BMX bikes. We got... And police would just drive by us, and we would just wave. You know what I mean? What are you guys doing? Oh, we're going hunting in the field with our BB guns. One day we decided to take this uh, blow-up inflatable, you know, boat. And uh, so we throw it over the fence. We should probably call my mom, call the, uh, you know, uh, CPS on my mom right now for letting us. What are you guys doing? We're taking a boat. We're going to go over a fence illegally, and we're going to go out in the middle of this ponding basin that was filled with water at six or seven years old with our guns. Right? What are those great days? No cell phones? <laughs> it's like, dude, your mom had to yell down the street, hey, dinner's on the table. And it's like, okay, here we go. Now it's like a text, a text, you know what I mean? They, they know where your phone is and stuff. Anyways. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, there we are in the middle of this body of water. And it starts to sink. So we've forgotten to see if there's any holes in this boat. You know what I mean? And uh, we made it. Obviously, we made it out and learned our lesson. But what it brings me to remember is the fact that there's so many things that are trying to sort of sink your joy. Trials. You know, when you're going through a trial and you keep your eyes on Jesus, even though the circumstances stink, you can have joy. But when you take your eyes off of, the, uh, off of God and you start looking at your circumstances, well, all of a sudden your joy starts to depart. Circumstances in life, hard times, they try to rob us of joy. We lose sight of God and what he's doing through it. And our hope begins to be fixed upon the things of this earth, earthly realm stuff, and not heavenly things and God himself. And our joy begins to sink. Sin also does it. Broken fellowship. We're going to learn about walking in the light next week. And when you and I are walking in the light and sin moments happen in our life, we confess those sins to God and we stay connected in relationship, fellowship with Him. But if we have unconfessed sin this morning and we're sort of you know stiff-arming the Holy Spirit as He's speaking to our hearts and He's convicting our hearts, what happens is, is that that fellowship is broken. You're always God's son or daughter. You don't lose your sonship or you don't become like you're like removed from the family of God, but your fellowship is broken. And when you and I are walking in that, what I have found is it is difficult to have that joy when you're walking in darkness, isn't it? And so what do you do? You say, God, I need to get back to the basics of my faith. You came John felt you, John heard you. He proclaimed the gospel message that the word of life, the eternal one who is with the Father, he entered into our time domain. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He physically rose from the dead so that I could have fellowship with God and know him personally, friendship with him. And the byproduct is joy that nobody can ever take away if I'm not experiencing it this morning. It's not because God is withholding joy. It's because there's something out of place in my life. You know the great thing about God is that his grace never runs out. And you get that realignment moment even now when you say, God, I need to get back to the basics and walk with you and know you. And find joy in my relationship with you. You go to the Lord. You call upon him. You confess your sins. David did that. In Psalm 51, his confession psalm, after he had betrayed the nation, after he had dishonored God, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he had had her husband murdered, and then tried to cover it all up. His confession prayer was in Psalm 51. And in verse 12, he says something very beautiful. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You say, God, this morning, I need you to restore the joy of what you have offered me in relationship with you, fellowship with you. In Psalm 16, David uttered these words. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There is joy in prayer. You'll find joy when you fully just release and worship God. Here on Sunday mornings, at a prayer meeting, some uh, evening over at the Campus Life Center. When you're worshiping God in your car, when you're spending time in his word, you will find that that joy will emerge in your life. I remember the joy that came when I got saved. This was now three decades back. But it, there's, I get little glimpses of it. I get little glimpses of. The other night in our small group, uh, one of our young people was reading a, one of my an old Bible I have. It was a King James Bible, so we thought it would be fun to listen to, uh, you know, King James uh, language. If it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us, right? And uh, so. Uh, so he was reading it, and there was like a little note that, uh, that I had written. Now this would have been about 25 years ago in there. And he said, oh, man, let, let this little note here. And, and, I, and I listened to it, and I'm like, what a wise young Christian man who wrote that there. And, and, and my thought was like, dang, you look, it sounded like you were actually pretty excited about Jesus and the things of God at that season in your life. You ever get that whiff of a kind of a... Um, like, a, a, like an, an old smell that you go like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this day. Like every time, sometimes I'll, I'll smell Obsession, that cologne, remember that? Right? And I'd think about like, you know, a Winter Formal in 1986 with my wife, Tammy. So I'm like, Dracar, I didn't never wear that. So you don't have to worry about that. But you get a little hint of it like, oh dang, that, those, were, those were joyful days. I remember, I remember like struggling in school with grades and stuff. And you know what my thought was? In 100 years, what's this going to matter? You know what my mom said to that? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, well, kindergarten teacher, whatever. (laughs) Car radio stolen a month into my walk with Jesus. You know what I actually thought? Maybe God doesn't want me to listen to music right now. Maybe he just wants me to pray when I'm driving. That sounds so dumb, doesn't it? (laughs) And yet I actually believed that. I actually believed, like, what does it matter? Someone scratches my car right now, at, like Target parking lot. It's like calling down fire upon them. Lord, you want me to call down fire on them right now? Like, calm down, John. Sometimes you got to get that little whiff of like, man, a simple walk with Jesus. Maybe that's why your joy, maybe that's why my joy sometimes feels like it's just not there in your life, in my life. To walk with God. Nights up studying God's word. Do you remember those moments where you're just like, man, I just want to read God's word. You a class would cancel and you're just like, oh, I can't wait to go to a coffee shop and devour God's word. Worshiping God, spending nights, you know, praying with your friends, you know, together. Like those, those early days of your walk with God, you say, man, that brought so much joy to my life. You know, there's a great story in the Bible where uh, it was e- Elisha was, uh, they were building a cool prophet house, you know. Uh, where all the young prophets, you know, the guys were in school and studying God's law. And, uh, and, and so one guy was chopping wood, you know what I mean? And the axe head fell into the water. He goes up to Elisha and says, you know, alas, master, I borrowed this axe. And they're going to be super mad at me because I, you know, it fell into the water. And, uh, and this miracle happens. Elisha goes back to the spy and says, well, where did you drop it? And, and, and he, you know, prays and all of a sudden the axe head floats, you know what I mean? Which is pretty awesome. Wouldn't that be cool to do that like hey everybody gather around at the uh, you know office you know little room and say hey guys watch this throw some iron in the water it starts to rise up and I was like okay holy man the idea was is that uh, what I love about the story is 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 he asked him where did you drop it can you think about like an era, a time in your life where you go man this was like really exciting times with me and jesus you say well where did you drop it what were you doing at that time were you getting up extra early and spending time in prayer? Were you uh, committing your life to reading God's word on a daily, consistent basis? Did you carve out time to worship him and pray to him and journal your thoughts and your, and your prayers to God? I can promise you, if you could think back at a time in your life like that, that the only thing that you needed to do, you your circumstances aren't going to change. You just go back to doing what you were doing where you found that joy. John makes it clear that God desires you and I to experience joy based on our fellowship with God. What do you need to do to get back to that spot? Have you departed from a simple faith? Have you lost closeness with Jesus, no longer finding time with, for him in your life? Man, get back to that. You know, we've been saying this the last couple weeks together, and team's going to come and lead us in song. We're going to encourage you guys to go and have some fun. And eat some great food and play some football outside. But, but you get back to that place, we've said this over and over the last few weeks, where Jesus and knowing him is your master passion in life. It's the greatest exciting thing in your life, like to know him, to walk with him. And you get back to that spot. And I promise you, you will find real joy that's not based on circumstances will emerge in your life once again. And you'll experience that joy because you have that fellowship and that closeness, not only with God, but with your brothers and sisters as well. You know, this morning, as, a, as we get ready to close out our time and worship him through song once again, let me encourage you, if you don't know him today, that you would commit your life to him, that you would surrender your life to him. As I mentioned three decades back, I came to that place in my life where I realized that this world was offering me was bogus. It wasn't real. I realized that what I needed in my life was a relationship and a true connection with God through Jesus Christ. And I came to that place in my life where I realized that I had sinned and I had broken God's commands and that Jesus Christ came to this earth to pay for my sins personally. And as he died and as he rose from the dead, he offers eternal life to all who would call upon him by faith. Millions of Christians around this globe for centuries have come to that spot in their life where they say Jesus I'm ready to surrender to you Jesus I want you to be my friend Jesus I want my sins forgiven and I want to begin a relationship with you today man when we uh, get ready to pray right now if that's what you want for your life right where you're sitting we could tell God together what you want him to do in your life would you pray with me now father thank you for your grace lord and thank you for your love and father this morning we say thank you for this great little letter, God, that we're going to learn uh, about you, Jesus, and about what it means to follow you. Lord, this morning we read that that first purpose of this letter is so that we might have joy that is complete and full, like a net fully crammed and stuffed. God, we want that to be a part of our lives. And so I pray right now for my brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, those that perhaps have a little bit of uh, just, a, just a leak in their lives, so to speak, circumstances. Their eyes are on other things. Perhaps they've been wandering back into a life of the flesh, Lord, chasing after little pet sins, hoping that they're going to find satisfaction in them. And Lord, their joy is missing. God, this morning, would you restore that joy? God, even as David prayed, restore to us the joy of your salvation. Lord, I also pray for those that are here this morning. God, they don't know you. And yet your word declares that your purpose in coming to this earth was so that they might have oneness with you, fellowship with you, relationship with you. And Lord, their sin is hindering them right now from knowing you, and yet you've come to take their sin away as you've taken my sin away.